Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to Episode 9. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In Episode 9, Jeevana and I talk about a recent article that he had featured with Yoga Journal, talking about yoga's response to disabilities and illness. Together, we'll explore the belief that folks with disabilities or illness need to be fixed or cured, especially within yoga spaces. Jeevana talks in depth about the connection between ableism and white supremacy, making it pervasive and easy to ignore by those who think they are unaffected. He also shares more about the ways that ableism is upheld in our wellness spaces by centering healing or curing people. This episode invites us all to investigate the stories we hold about our bodies, disabilities, illness, death, and yoga's place alongside those identities and life transitions. Here we go. Hi. Hi, Amber. How are you? I'm all right. I'm glad to be here uh, on the podcast chatting with you today. Yes. Nice to talk to you again. So the thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, you had an article come out this week in Yoga Journal about ableism in yoga. And uh, it's something that, you know, both of us are pretty engaged in and passionate about. Uh, fighting. Yeah. And so um, I wondered if you could just talk about that article a little bit and how mm-hmm. ableism shows up in, in our yoga classes and spaces. Sure. Yeah. I was um, excited that I had the opportunity to talk about it in, in the magazine because I just feel like they have a pretty broad, um, you know, readership and it's like very traditional or I don't know, traditional, what's the word? Like, you know, Western yoga looks to yoga journal and it's good to to have an article about ableism in there i think yeah. i think the main thing that i tried to share um well the main thing i tried to share actually was something i learned from ryan mcgraw who's a yoga teacher in chicago who has cerebral palsy himself and i i, I wrote about how he spoke at the um, accessible yoga conference last year in st louis and i just loved his workshop so much um, he talked about the difference between a medical model of disability and a cultural model of disability. And it just really made me think a lot about um, where yo- how yoga um, re- responds to disability and illness. And basically the medical model of disability is based on kind of a, an idea that disability is something that needs to be fixed and that people with disabilities need to be changed and healed and made to be some other way, Um, you know, cured or, you know, that like, that's kind of how Western medical system works. So seeing people as disabilities or chronic illness as somehow um, imperfect and wrong. And then the cultural model of disability is more about embracing disability as a as a culture and actually as a difference, just like other kinds of cultural differences. So for me, it's like being gay. I feel like that's cultural for me. It's like I have like it's a big part of who I am. It's not something that I want to change. And um, that, that movement within disability, within the disability community really is about embracing disability as an aspect of identity. It also corresponds to um, how people are referring to their own disability. There's, uh, which I mentioned in the article, the move 
away from person first language to identity first language. Mm. So person first language is where you would say, um, I'm a person with, you know, multiple sclerosis or say a person with disability versus I'm a disabled person. That's identity first, a disabled person, like a deaf person. The deaf community has already embraced that. Right. But like I'm autistic. That's like the, the autism community has definitely embraced that. And other people within the disability community are beginning to embrace it. It's, it's a personal choice, but it's just such an interesting um, way of looking at disability as like just part of you, you know, just part of you that's important and not needing to be changed. Right. And, and I think part of that like cultural model of it also recognizes that, you know, the people that oftentimes people with a disability, like they don't see that as a limitation. They're like, my limitation is that society is not designed for me to exist in these spaces. Like, it's not that I can't come into your yoga studio. It's that I can't get my wheelchair through the door. So that it does, that means like the disability is not the problem. The access is the problem, you know? Right. And I think that's a really important like shift from, um, you know, seeing human beings as sort of like human beings in different types of bodies, whether that's a disabled body, a fat body, an aging body, which will all be there eventually, right? Like as some kind of like medical, what'd you say? If you're lucky. Oh yeah. If we're lucky. I know. No kidding. Right. But, um, seeing uh like that means holding up like that able body or that young body or you know that thin body as like the default correct way to be and seeing everybody else as some sort of like uh you know digression or less than right then it centers the person and says like what do we need to you know do to accommodate this person and like make sure that they can equitably participate just like everyone else like i think it's such an important shift well, that's ableism. I mean, you basically just define ableism, you know, which is really the idea that um, that being that having some disability is actually wrong, and that there's a better way to be in a body. Like that, bodies that have certain abilities are are superior, and it, it's it's directly related to white supremacy and um, you know other kinds of prejudice that come out of white supremacy, like racism, homophobia, transphobia. And ableism is a huge one, and I think particularly important in the world of yoga since we work with bodies so much. So I feel like slightly obsessed with this idea that yoga teachers need to be well-versed in ableism and how they can avoid it in, in their classes and well, in our lives in general, and mostly within our thinking, like that's what I tried to share in the article is like, just to ask some questions too, like to really reflect on our personal beliefs. Cause it's not, I think the way we speak often is just an expression or should be, I guess, an expression of what we think and the way we perceive the world. And I think it's, um, you know, like I said, just like other forms of white supremacy, we're, we're, we're like steeping in it. So sometimes it's hard to see because it's just such a part of the culture that we're in. And we're just, we're, it's ingrained in us, enculturated to think about bodies in a certain way and that some bodies are better than other bodies. And it's just, it feels really, um, it's really wrong. It's wrong. It's incorrect. And it's actually not yoga. So there's nothing about, there's nothing about yoga in that. Like yoga is about um, connecting with your spirit. It's a spiritual practice that comes from an ancient tradition. You know, in yoga, we're actually trying to stop identifying with the body and connect more and more with spirit. That's not 
it doesn't matter what your body is. You know, it's not like you have to have this kind of um, perfect physical form in order to do that. There's actually no relationship. That's what that was a, um, my old you know motto. I used to say like, um, outer ability doesn't equal inner peace. Remember, we made that right. shirt. Yeah, we made you know, shirt. <laughs> for accessible yoga. Yeah, like your outer ability, like the physical ability you have. There's no relationship and no correlation to your like inner peace and your inner experience of your life that you can have a very, um, you know, kind of, I don't know what the word is like physically fit body. You could be very strong and flexible, um, and still be unhappy, not peaceful, not yogic. Um, you can have a body that is considered not healthy, um, in some way, either older body or disabled body and be at peace and enlightened. Right. And so, and I always, the other thing I ask people is to think about, like you mentioned, like, well, we'll all get older. I always think about that question for people. Like if you, if you're still invested in the idea that having an advanced physical practice is being advanced in yoga, then I always ask like, well, what happens if you have an injury or if you, um, get older, like by the time you're in your eighties or something and you can't do all those poses anymore, does that mean you're not advanced anymore? Right. So I just think we, we have misconstrued what yoga means in light of an ableist construct, um, that we view the world through in the West. Yeah. I think that context is so important. And so, you know, one way that that shows up is, you know, this overemphasis, I think, on asana, which is, you know, something you just touched on. Um, and if we're in asana, are amazing tools to explore the body mind connection, but yeah. they're not, they're not yoga, like they're technology that yoga gives us to do the yoga, they're not the yoga, like making the shape with your body is not the yoga. Right. And so I think when we overemphasize that, then we actually get away from the heart of the teachings, which actually has nothing to do with your appearance or your ability, right? It is about working with the mind. And um, so, Yeah. but I know that um, in the article, you also talked about another way it shows up, which is um, around this idea of healing and cure. Yeah. And I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, I was saying that to me, there's really two issues that I see in yoga. And one is this kind of obvious one that you just mentioned was this idea that uh, that advanced asana is advanced yoga and that, or that yoga is asana, is asana. You know, like if you search hashtag yoga on Instagram, like you're gonna see these like gymnastic poses and right. I can't tell if the person's doing yoga or not. It's an inner experience. So <laughs> I can't tell if they're doing, if they're dancing or doing gymnastics or if they're doing yoga, it's just, you just cannot tell. So. There's that. And I think everyone kind of gets that. But I think there's another insidious way. And that's through this idea of healing. And and I kind of, to be honest, I, it's a critique I have of yoga therapy. And, and I'm a yoga therapist myself. So I, I, I also feel like I'm, I love yoga therapy. I think there's a lot of benefit that can come working one-on-one -on -one with someone, and especially if they have a grounding in the breadth of the practices and the teachings, which so many yoga therapists do, because usually they have at least a thousand hours of training. But um, one of the things that I see sometimes in yoga therapy and in yoga teaching 
is this idea that yoga is going to heal you and generally in a physical way. And I, and I think that feeds off of this idea of, uh, of this medical model of disability and this, which comes out of ableism, this idea that having a disability or, or, an, or a chronic illness is bad or wrong. Because first of all, I just want to say that yoga and yoga therapy is not really a medical profession. Like, you know, yoga is, is not about medicine. There is, there is that within um, Ayurveda and many other medical traditions where you would go to healing, but that's not actually what yoga is about. Again, yoga is about spiritual enlightenment and realization and learning to, like I always say, like being at, at home with your own mind. Um, so I'm just afraid that it kind of creeps into yoga in this way where we almost don't see it. This idea that, um, that being sick or having a disability or chronic illness is, or being older, um, or just like having, like having a large body, like that, that it's yeah. wrong and that it needs right. to be changed and fixed and that yoga will do that for you. And that's actually not what yoga will do for you. You know, the yeah. fixing of yoga is an internal process of healing your mind. It's nothing to do with what happens in your body. You can actually be healed and then die. <laughs> right. I, I went to... Do you want like, to say more about that? Yeah, like I'll just say like I went to a... Um, again, I don't want to criticize yoga therapists, but I went to an IAYT conference many years ago. And I, I think they've evolved since then. But IAYT is the International Association of Yoga Therapists. And I'm a member proudly. I love what... I love what they're doing, but at this meeting, they were, it was early on. They hadn't set their um, standards yet. They really hadn't formed what it meant to be a yoga therapist. It was a, actually the conversation that I'm thinking of was about what should the standards include. And I, and I had already been working with people with AIDS for many, many years, um, teaching yoga to people with HIV and AIDS. And I had many students die. And I, and I saw through my students that yoga was healing for them even when they were dying. And it wasn't that we were able to do asana. It was that yoga brought a sense of peace and um, interconnection. And, and like, there's nothing more beautiful than that. Like the, the right. most important parts of yoga, we, I felt were being dismissed because I, oh, what happened at this meeting I went to, is they were talking about the standards and all the categories that need to be addressed within yoga therapy. And there was no discussion about end of life care, about how to support someone who is dying, um, how to support or, or family after they're dying to support grief. And I was just shocked because I just feel like to me, it, it missed, it missed the mark to be like, this is what yoga is really about. I would even go as far as to say that yoga in general, is about learning how to be comfortable with our death. Um, because yoga is about understanding the relate, like getting, I don't know what the word is, getting in right relationship with our body and our mind, which is the part of us that's dying. So within the yoga tradition, the spirit isn't dying, just that body mind is. So. Uh, in a way, that's what yoga is preparing us to do. And I always say, like, we end every class with Shavasana, which is corpse pose. Basically, <laughs> we end every class with practicing dying. You know, yeah. it's not an accident that we're doing that. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way to, to talk about that, too. I, I love listening to you talk about this topic. Um, 
I mm -hmm. wondered if we could like go in a little bit different direction, which is, um, well, I think that if we as yoga teachers have the expectation that the outcome for our students practice should be that their body is healed, right? This body healing idea that we're talking about. I think that sets us up uh, for two things. One, like being attached to the outcomes of our teaching, which I think is a quick road to uh, self-loathing as a yoga teacher, mm, <laughs> because yeah. we actually can't control the outcome of any of our students' practice or whether they actually do the practice at all, right? Like that is their practice, no yeah. matter how much we may want, you know, to help them. Mm -hmm. And I think also um, it means that we're in relationship to our students in a way that actually doesn't honor the wholeness of their, of, of them, of the person that's in front of us. If we are viewing them as somebody that needs to be fixed or that is mm -hmm. lacking in some way, yeah, um, which I think is like opposite from what the yoga philosophy teaches us. And so I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You just said it so beautifully. Like, I think that's the job of a yoga teacher. And the reason this is, I'm bringing this up and it's so important is that our job isn't to change people. Our job is to love them and support them and teach them tools that they can use to go on this inner journey. And that often includes the body. I mean, you know, the body is this incredible tool. What's so beautiful about yoga is it offers an embodied spiritual practice and, and that's rare in spiritual traditions. Like that's actually, it's not so rare in indigenous spiritual traditions, I would say, but I think it's one of the right. things that is actually most different. If you look at indigenous spiritual traditions from more Western ones, in that indigenous traditions often use the body more in their spiritual tradition, either it's dance or movement. Um, like we hear about African yoga. I think that's something that's really important for us to, to be aware of too, is just like the, the differences between these traditions and then what we've been trained in, in Western religion, where it's very much a, a controlled kind of intellectual process so the point I guess I'm trying to say is the body is important in yoga. I'm not saying it's yeah. not important, but it's not in yoga. The body is not about, it's not something that needs to be changed. Instead, it's actually the vehicle that we're using to go beyond. And so if we're obsessing about the body and changing it, I think we're losing sight of the actual goal of the practice, which is this ending this inner battle you know, that we're all suffering from. Um, so I think um, yoga teachers go into the classroom thinking, you know, I want to help my students, but what you could help them with the most is actually just loving them and embracing them for who they are right now, um, rather than even feeding into their own desires to change. Because I think that's just, it's normal that people want to change. Like, Right. You know, and you know about that with like body positive stuff. Like it's so often like I don't like something in my body and I want to change that. Oh, yoga. I'll go to yoga and get thinner or whatever. Right. Just because a student thinks that doesn't mean the teacher needs to buy into that crap. Like the teacher's job is to actually teach us self-love and acceptance no matter where we're at in our journey. So if we're someone who's dealing with a disability or 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 dying even or has a chronic illness, like the teacher could embrace that for, for us and see that as whole um, and show us show us how to find peace with, within that 
within our lives. Like we all have that. We all have something right. that we maybe don't want to accept or want to change. That doesn't mean it needs to change. It, mean, it means we need to learn about how to um, integrate, you know, become integrated. Because I think integration is actually real healing. That's, that's yoga, right? To be an integrated person, not to be, have a different body. Yoga is not actually um, going to stop you from dying. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. No yeah. matter how, quote unquote, healthy your body becomes, right? Yeah. But were you trying to ask about like specific things teachers can do? Is that where you're trying to go? Uh, no, not really. But that I think that could be a good, a good next place to go. I think, um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's clear what I'm saying that I think first begins with our own, as teachers, um, with our belief system about this yeah. and our fear. So what I, and I know in myself, like, especially when I started teaching yoga and I had actually in my first yoga class that I ever taught, I remember it so vividly. I had a really funny experience. I was so nervous. I mean, I am, I'm a very insecure, shy person, which, you know, yoga has helped me get over the shyness a bit, but I was so afraid to speak in public, like that getting up in front of the group was horrifying to me but I remember my very ever first class it was a big group there was probably like 25 people in there and one of the last students to walk in was this much older woman I mean she probably was I would say late 70s if not early 80s and she had a cast on her leg and mm -hmm. she I think she had crutches she walked in she set herself up in the back I think I'd just already even started. I didn't get a chance to talk to her at all. Like there was no interaction with her. I was right. just like starting class and then she comes in and I was just like, oh shit. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> like, how am I going to teach her? You know? And I was just like, and I realized that um, I was so nervous about just teaching at all that I just ignored her. But then as I started teaching, what I saw was that she was amazing. Like she was completely in her body. She knew exactly what to do to take care of herself. She obviously was a very experienced practitioner. And I was just like, wow, that was like ridiculous. The way my mind like made all these assumptions about her because she's older, because she had like an injury. Like I assumed that she didn't know something and that it was my responsibility to know something. I assumed that I was supposed to hold this kind of, um yeah like information that she right. didn't have that information and it was just like the whole the whole construct was wrong mm -hmm. she was actually much more experienced than i was right because she's the expert of that body <laughs> right Not, well that's true i say that about everyone right like every yoga right. student but in this case she literally was more experienced than me she i was right. pretty new and she was not and so like how wrong was i but yeah, you're right. Every person is like the master of their own body and like knows more about their body than the teacher does. Yeah. No wonder what, whatever garbage the teacher tells you that they can see your aura or whatever, I don't buy it. Like, you know <laughs> best, right? As your student, you know, you know best what's what you need to do for your body at any given time. And other yeah, people and don't get to say that. And decide right yeah. and i think that is like part of you know how teachers can start to shift the lens from that maybe model that we're used to where a disability or a larger body or an older body or injured body or whatever it is like a pregnant body we kind of treat pregnant people like they're disabled too yeah. um sometimes in that way and so like 
rather than seeing um, that as something that needs to like be fixed or be healed or any of that, like, I think coming back to um, um, what what space can we hold for folks to be able to just exist in their wholeness? And when we can meet our students where they are and be more in a, I think, right relationship as human beings, like you said, like our job is to, to be there to love them and accept them for exactly who they are and to really model that love and acceptance, like through the things that we say, through the way that we teach, through how we maybe support them when they come in with an injury or a bad pain day, or um, maybe if their practice changes because they, they get a disability while they are a student with us, you know, like embracing the fact that bodies change from day to day and throughout our lives and really normalizing that fact in your classes, I think is one of the biggest gifts you can give your students because it takes the emphasis from uh, thinking that the class is about keeping up with the class or the, or nailing a pose or displaying some sort of physical prowess or, you know, clearing their head of thoughts or like whatever misconception that the students might have because of the way this practice has been co-opted and commodified and everything else that goes into like why people think yoga is about mm-hmm. doing handstands, like, but rather like modeling that, you know, bodies change from day to day. And I think even talking about that as your yourself as a teacher, you know, we've all had struggles with body image. We've all had struggles with an injury maybe, or times that our practice had to change. Um, that wasn't something we would have chosen. And I think that, you know, those are really universal experiences that we can, we can be an inquiry with that with our students mm. rather than thinking that we're sort of the gatekeeper of some yes. better way of being or that we have some, like, if only you would do this practice in this exact way, then you're worthy of all the dignity and respect and care. This is something that maybe like, I think comes up a lot in my work with um, mm-hmm. body positivity and fat acceptance is sort of around the thing of body acceptance when people are like, oh yeah, you know, it's fine to like feel good about your body, like as long as you're healthy. Like that is a, a really big um refrain that a lot of um, folks in larger bodies that start the journey of body acceptance here that like it's all good to love yourself but like you still have to like stay healthy so the implication there is that you're only worth love if you're healthy and i think that i think that dominant culture and capitalism really do teach us that they teach us that health is equated with worth in the same way that they teach us that beauty is equated with worth that youth is equated with worth that productivity is recreated with worth. So like we are trained in this hierarchical way of thinking that healthy health is used as a barometer of worthiness against people who are discriminated against through this medical model of disability. And I would say that the way that fat folks are systemically discriminated against and the quote unquote obesity epidemic and the way that we talk about Uh, fat bodies in a medicalized Mm -hmm. way, like when we talk about morbid obesity, right? We're like assigning (laughs) definitely a value judgment and all of those kinds of things. So like these things are in our culture, right? Mm -hmm. We're marinating in them. And so I want to go back to this idea of like health as a barometer of worthiness, because we don't deserve dignity and respect and care and for our humanity to be recognized because we are healthy we deserve it because we are human beings and 
we are inherently worthy because of that, because of our interconnectedness and that, um, well, the spirit, the spiritual part of this practice, that um, inner radiance that we that we hope to find in the yoga practice and then more easily recognize that in other people. And so yep. I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's so dangerous to sort of get into that space of, well, as long as you're healthy, then we can, then you can love yourself. Then you can right. treat yourself well. Then other people will respect you. So. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love that you bring that up because I, it, it really kind of drives me crazy. I see that um, a lot within the, if you call it the fat acceptance movement. I mean, it just feels like, mm-hmm. I see a lot of like the excuse being like, well, you can be fat and healthy, like you're saying, but that's not the point, right? You're saying it's actually, it doesn't matter. You can just be fat and be fat and that's fine. And you can still be accepted and have all the rights that everybody else has. You don't have to be quote healthy too. You can be, you can be disabled and still have all the rights and deserve all the respect um, and all the access to everything that everyone else has. Something that I, um, you know, I, kind of petitioned yoga alliance about for a long time was when they created their yoga therapy policy a few years back they wouldn't allow um, yoga teachers registering with them to talk about words associated with yoga therapy and i think it was a legal question right they didn't want i don't know what they didn't want to be sued or something but i felt like the danger was that um they saw yoga therapy as a separate thing than just yoga teaching. And that I was concerned that people with disabilities might look for those terms um, like yoga therapy as a way of just finding classes that are accessible to them. And that if yoga alliance didn't allow any of that language within their system, like in their directory, then people with disabilities might have less access to those classes themselves, which I do think is what happened actually. So I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think people with disabilities have, should have access to yoga just because they want to do yoga, not because they want to be healed. Mm. And I think if a person with a disability comes into your class, don't assume that they want to be changed or healed in any way. I always tell this story about this guy, he, who <laughs> this student of mine, he told me he, he uses a wheelchair and he told me that he went into a yoga class once. He'd never talked to this teacher before. She came up to him and said, if you come and study with me, I'll get you to walk again. Ew, what? <laughs> yeah. And she, he was like, I'm never going back there. He just left, actually, because he said, first of all, there's so many things wrong with that statement. Yeah. She knew nothing about him. Now, I think there's obvious things, obvious things wrong, like, oh, well, can she actually cure him? You know, she doesn't know, like, the problem to get him to actually walk again. But I think right. there's a subtle problem, which is what I was trying to get at, and that is, she assumed that he wanted to be different, yep. that he was unhappy with using a wheelchair and that he wanted to walk again. And that assumption is what I'm trying to get at. There's an assumption made within the yoga community that everyone wants to be healed and become this perfect vision of health, you know, skinny, flexible, young, beautiful person doing asanas mm-hmm. outside somewhere, that that is something we're all striving for. And it's just not true. That is not the goal of yoga. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing I just want to add to that. I just have one more thought, which is so much of it has to do with projecting our own personal experience. I just want to say, like, not only do yoga teachers need to do the work, I mean, in terms of how they teach and the language they use, like using trauma-sensitive language and welcoming, um, teaching instead of commanding, like I talk about that in the article, 
But I think yeah. really what we need to do is look at our own projections, like how we're, how we're projecting our experience onto our students. So for example, um, what I see a lot happening in yoga is because a person has had a certain experience, they assume that their students are having that experience. And yep. that's just not the case. Like, you don't know. So, like, say you love a pose as a teacher. And you're like, this is such a yummy pose, you know, to work in the hips. And it's like, you know what? For your student, it might be the worst pose. That's not that's, yummy at all. Me and every yoga teacher like, you're going to love it. It's so juicy. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> or, like, I, and I've, I've done this myself. I'll be like, you know, this is a very calming practice or like, you know, this will be really relaxing for you. And it's like, wait, that's not relaxing for me. Like we're, we're basically, we're projecting an experience onto the student and it's so obnoxious. It's, it basically takes away their autonomy and their agency, right. To like choose yeah. how they want to experience something and how they want to be in their bodies. So I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to get up, to get out of that. And I think that leads to what we're talking about this whole, like, basically understanding what you're doing with your practice and what you think your students are doing with their practice. Like what is the goal there? I think that'll help a lot in terms of removing this kind of ableist undertone, you know, from teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really liked what you said about um, uh, not making assumptions about bodies, right? Like you talked about the example in your teaching, when you assume something about that older woman that came to the class and then yeah. the person that assumed that guy didn't want to be in a wheelchair when that wheelchair actually like gives him freedom. So, you know, yeah. like when we, the more we can do as teachers to investigate our unconscious bias, which is what we're talking about here, yeah. the assumptions yeah. that we hold around different bodies and what those types of bodies, I'm doing like air quotes, um, are supposed to be able to do or not be able to do. I've had many, many examples that I can give you of walking into a yoga studio in the body I'm in, which is mm. a fat body, but a very strong and able body, um, and have assumptions made about my practice, how much experience I have, what I would be able to do, and, and not even talk to me, right? Like, yeah. we're going to do this, you can rest in child's pose without <laughs> like, trying to even cue me into it or asking if I was comfortable with, you know, and so like, I think this can show up in a lot of different ways. Um, visible differences often I find trigger these types of like, mm -hmm. um, unconscious bias the most. And, you know, yeah. it's not just around ability or body size, um, race, gender, sexuality, like we have, you know, all humans have unconscious bias. It's just part of our conditioning from living in the society we're living in. And so I think that when those things come up, when we confront those things and we actually become aware of them, you know, we have the opportunity to really take a look at ourselves and say like, oh, wow, I have been causing harm unintentionally. I've been brought, my attention has been brought to it. Now I can actually know better and do better. Or we have the choice to like get defensive about it and say like, mm -hmm. well, that's not what I mean. You know, my best friend is fat. I would never yeah. insult a bigger person. You know, then you have to like give your good person resume. Like no one wants to hear that after yeah. you've said something that was ableist or racist or homophobic or whatever, whether you meant to say it or not, like the harm was done. And so I think as teachers, it's like, it's just part of our teaching practice to constantly be in inquiry with both our, um, the way that we are viewing our students and interacting with them, but also that language that we use to communicate yeah. that. And so 
you know, I think that it's, it's hard to mess up. It's especially hard to mess up and realize that you've acted from your unconscious bias or that you've universalized your experience and put that on your student. Like, it's really uncomfortable to have that brought to our attention. But I think that if we can kind of sidestep the ego that says, as a teacher, we have to know, we have to have all the answers and really get to the heart of the practice, which is about like seeing our students and helping them to like love and accept exactly who they are in this moment so that they can really like live out this practice. I think we miss a lot of opportunities if we, Mm -hmm. if we don't make that shift. Right. And I, and I think it's so important what you said. I think it's, it's often coming out of fear um you know fear of difference like you see like people with disabilities i think get it a lot like someone is people will be afraid of interacting with someone with a disability afraid of um, saying the wrong thing too and so they'll avoid the interaction um so i think that can be dangerous i think i think it comes back to like empowering the students in the classroom setting and being clear about your scope of practice as a teacher so like Sure, your job as a teacher is to try to keep everyone safe, but you can also empower students in that way and being, you know, by saying like, you know what, this is your practice, please do what feels best in your body. If something doesn't feel good, don't do it. If a new student comes to you and you're like, oh, wow, like they have a disability, I don't know how to work with them. You actually can go to them and say, you know, I never worked with someone who um, is missing their right leg. Like, how do you, um, you know, I never taught any amputee before. Can you tell me like what? do you want me to cue you with that leg or not? Or, you know, you can actually have a conversation and ask someone like, that's not so bad. Like people, usually people want to talk about their differences and rather than be to see your shame or fear. um, Cause that can be worse. Like, for example, like if someone is an amputee and they don't have the right leg, the worst thing you could do, I think is to be like, okay, now let's do the right side. Okay. If you have a right leg, you know what I mean? Like to say something like that in class is just like, so I don't know, like, unless you, unless you have a rapport with that student and you're like, well, and then, you know, so-and-so you can like do this another way, you know, like mm-hmm. you can actually bring it up and talk about it, but not like in this cr- like really insecure way. Um, like, you know, um, uh, you know, my friend who comes into the accessible yoga training, Danny, uh, Danny Anderson, She's taught me a lot. Um, she uses a wheelchair and she, she, talk, she tells a story about um, one of her colleagues asking her to go get some coffee one day and saying, you know, she had said, do you want to go for a walk with me and go get some coffee? And, and Danny hadn't thought about that interaction at all because she knew what it meant. You know, she, know, she knew what it meant, yeah. even though she doesn't walk, she uses a wheelchair, but like to go for a walk with someone, that makes sense. She's, anyway, this person called her the next day and was like, I was so upset that I, I was up all night thinking about how I might've offended you. And I said, let's go for a walk. And, and I know you don't walk and I didn't want to upset, you know, it's just like, what? Like, and Danny was, Danny would say like, you know what? It, it never crossed my mind after you said it. Yeah. So I guess it's just like this. And, and again, maybe it's personality too. Like some people might not respond nicely. That's okay. But I think just like be open, be in exploration with people, be honest with them um, and try to let go of some of that fear. I think fear of difference is what really keeps a lot of these types of discrimination, you know, in place. Yeah. Yeah. 
So maybe we'll leave it there. Um, But I think uh, it's important that every week we've been asking our community a question to let them sit in reflection with these topics. And so I'm wondering if you have a question that you would pose to everyone around this, uh, what we've been talking about today. Yeah, I mean, I I think, well, some of the questions I asked in that article were just like, and and I can ask, maybe ask them here. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a disability, does that mean you need to be fixed or changed? Um, Well, there's three. Can I read them all? Yeah, definitely. Um, Does the ability to perform physically challenging asana mean you're advanced at yoga? Mm -hmm. And if you have an illness or injury or you get older and less mobile, do you become less advanced at yoga? Yeah, so good. All right. So with that, thank you all for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Jeevana, thanks. I love talking about this stuff with you. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. Love talking to you, too. Thank you so much. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. Please visit our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com, where you can see what we're up to, subscribe to the podcast, and where you can get on the wait list for our next course here at the Accessible Yoga Training School. And surprise, it's with me. (laughs) I am bringing my Making Peace With Your Body weekend intensive online for the first time ever with the Accessible Yoga Training School. And the course is going to run from October 27th through November 19th of this year. Making Peace With Your Body is an online course in a community that explores body acceptance and self-image through the lens of the yoga teachings. We'll discover how the practice of non-attachment, a justice-focused analysis of why we're so messed up about bodies in the first place, learning to manage our minds, and getting access to meaningful community can completely transform our relationship to our bodies. If you're sick of the negative self-talk loop that plays in your head on repeat, I call mine the mean girl soundtrack, (laughs) come join us. We'll learn techniques to shift our thoughts from self-loathing to radical self-acceptance. We'll also have space for movement, breathing work, meditation, reflection, and self-study. This course will be an interactive time of self-discovery and transformation. We're going to discover ways to boost confidence, come home to our bodies, and sharpen our minds to work toward equity and justice for all bodies. The waitlist is opening soon. You can go to AccessibleYogaTraining.com slash emails, and we'll let you know as soon as the waitlist opens for Making Peace With Your Body. I hope we'll see you there. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Give us feedback. We really, really value it, and we can't wait to hear from you. We'll see you next week.